If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible for you. And we're going to be starting on page 922. The text will also be on the screen for you as well. We're continuing in a sermon series. Amazingly, this is part 11. Uh, over the summer, we've been looking at the sermon series, God's Family Values. Uh, being a part of God's family has such amazing value in and of itself. I mean, just being a part of that family, by God's grace and mercy, by God's the work of God's Son, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, we are brought into God's family, adopted into God's family. Now, let's hit pause there. In Christ Jesus, it's more than we are just forgiven. But man, that's good news, right? We're forgiven. It's more than then we are just free. Wow. Free from the power and the penalty of sin. More than that, in Christ, we're brought in. We're brought near. Uh, we are adopted into God's family. And there is such a joy, such a joy of being loved by our God, being His, and being a part of His family. I hope and pray that each of you knows that joy. Not, not religion, but relationship. Knowing the joy that you are His and that He loves you. But being a part of God's family, it comes with great privileges. Uh, knowing that we are known and loved and forgiven and free. But being a part of God's family comes with great responsibility, too. As a part of the family, we need to value what God values. What's important to God should be important to us. And we are people who tend to be cherry pickers. Uh, we look at God, we look at his word, we look at his character, we say, I love this about God, and I'm a little bit scared about this. These are things that are easy for me to embrace. And some of these things about embracing God, it's not so easy. And we live in a time where we see many people who have said, hey, I'm going to celebrate a God who's loving, but I'm not going to celebrate a God who's just. And it really has deformed the God who is. Well, God reveals to us his family, what he values, and where we find God's family values. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. Uh, it's here where God will reveal to us who he is. He reveals to us his character. As we see his character, we see his values. He reveals to us his work his works of creation, his works of providence. He works all things together. We see a God who is the God over history. And all the things we see as we look into this incredible love letter of God, this living inspired word, we see God's character. We see more and more, but man, he is, he's merciful. I love it. Just in the, this week reading in the Psalms, it says, God in his holy habitation, he is a defender of the widow and he is also a defender of the powerless. I'm like, God, I love that. In the midst of your heart of hearts, you are a defender of widows. You care about orphans. That's at the heart of who you are. That's what you value. Last week, we threw you a little curveball. You handled it well. We gave you two values at once. And they were important to give you two values at once because they really go together. But they don't seem to go together. They seem to be an apparent contradiction. They seem to be what's called an oxymoron. We saw last week that God is both merciful, thank the Lord, but he's also just. He's a God who is both just and merciful at the same time. We saw that in Jesus, he and he alone is the one who's just, and he and he alone is the justifier. And as God's people, we need to value both. We can't cherry pick. We got to value a merciful God and a just God. Well, this week, another one, a little bit hard, this week's value seems to hold no value at all. How can God's family value, how can God value something 
that seems to contradict value. And it's God's family value of suffering. How can suffering have any value to a good God? I recently saw the latest Marvel movie about Thor, Thor, Love, and Thunder. For some reason, my wife and daughter could not wait to go see Thor. I don't know why. Some guy named Chris Hemsley that might not be a bad-looking dude to go look at for a couple hours. I agree. Um, but anyway, and by the way, this is a spoiler alert. I'm just going to kill the movie for you, but I'm saving you 20 bucks. It was like a C-plus movie at best, right? So take the money, throw it in the basket back there. Don't be giving me this, Karen. Don't be giving me this. This is God's word. I'm preaching up here. So, well, it's very interesting because the movie Thor begins with, by the way, Christian Bale plays this character, and he plays it really, really well. It begins with this character. His name's Gore, G-O-R-R, and he's in the desert. It's very, very bleak, and you see that he's with his daughter, and his daughter is perishing. And what the first scene is, as it opens up, is you see him praying, and he's praying earnestly to his God or to a God, and he's pleading for mercy. He's pleading for his daughter's life. He's pleading that God would do that which God's just supposed to do, be merciful and kind and save, right? Um, and so I think many of us could relate to that. But the daughter perishes. What do you do? What do you do when you turn to God to be merciful and save, and yet what you cry out for? And what you're crying out for is not selfish. I mean, you're crying out for the life of your daughter, right? What do you do when he doesn't answer? Well, Gore loses his faith in that God and all gods. And he becomes, and if those of you who like that Marvel stuff, go seek help, and I'm sorry, uh, those of you who like that stuff, you know that he's part of Marvel. He's Gore, watch this, the God Slayer. Because he's like, listen, if, if God can't be trusted, if God isn't good, I'm going to come after gods. I'm going to destroy them. So Gore sets out to kill the gods uh, who dismiss his suffering and pain. As a matter of fact, he will say this quote, The gods will use you, but they won't help you. Now I understand that my daughter is the lucky one. She doesn't have to grow up in a world of suffering and pain run by wicked gods. I think I get it. Now listen, it's a movie, right? And it's, it's kind of interesting, a God slayer. But let's be honest, don't we know God slayers? Maybe we're one. And don't we know that times in our life that prayer wasn't answered, that we want to say, forget you, God. And we cuss at them. We scream at them. We run from them. I mean, if there is a God, we want to slay him. Because this God has allowed suffering into our lives. C.S. Lewis, famous English author, I can't really call him a theologian, great thinker. He, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And it's a problem with all of us. How do we take a life so filled with pain and, and figure out how God is good? And he says this, If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And by the way, i got to hit pause and say, by the way, he wrote this as a believer. But at one time, he was an atheist. He didn't believe. But he uses this. It's very good for us to wrestle through this. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished, right? So it's basically saying, here's the problem. If God is good, he wants good for us. And if God is powerful, he makes sure what he wanted came to us. So what do we do? What do we do with a God who says he's good, a God who says he's all-powerful, and yet we suffer? 
we see in the Bible our God is good. We find in the Bible our God is able. Yet we see in the Bible a mystery. Remember, he'll tell us, are my ways not your ways? My thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah 55. But we find in the Bible the God who is, is a God who values suffering. Why do we know that? Well, because his son Jesus suffered. No one suffered like Jesus. And it's through Jesus' suffering, uh, because he would suffer for us. I love this. This Jesus, this God's son, guess what he would become? He would become the sin and death slayer. Unlike the God slayer, Jesus, God in flesh, the sin and death slayer. Through Jesus' suffering, we find God's value of suffering. So here's what we're going to look at today. Put your seatbelt down. We're in the deep end. And we're going to, this, this is not an easy, light little sermon, but it's important. And again, let me just tell you, um, this is a sermon that's it's more topical. We're going to take a topic of God, the topic of suffering, and you can see it throughout Scripture. Uh, and so we're looking at the, the macro picture. We're going to try to do it in one sermon. But there's more to be said than I can ever say. But may God's Spirit come and open all of our eyes and ears. We're going to look at this. Suffering finds its value in Christ Jesus our Lord. Secondly, suffering is eclipsed by the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And thirdly, suffering brings us into fellowship with Christ Jesus, our Lord. So many texts we could look at. I'm going to turn to the, uh, the epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, again, we're going to pick up the story in verse 7, uh, read through verse 14. And then we're going to turn to Peter. Uh, we're going to read 1 Peter 2, 19 through 24, and also 4, 12 through 16 and 19. Wherever we find ourselves in God's word, this is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth or the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mind, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit... Is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
For to you this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 and 19. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you, are ins uh, insulated, uh, from, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for your word that tells us that suffering isn't random. And we thank you for your word that tells us that suffering doesn't win. Thank you for telling us in your word where suffering came from and sin and brokenness. And we thank you for your son, who is the servant of suffering, that would suffer not only with us, but for us, that through whose wounds we could be healed. God, would you come and join your people? Would you speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word and hearts that embrace your truth and feet that walk in a manner of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we're going to see is suffering finds its value in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because you all know, you've lived more than 20 minutes on this earth, you know that suffering is loss, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Suffering is loss. How can loss be gained? How can something we lose be gained? How can suffering be value added? How can that be something that God values of suffering? Well, we know that when we lose something, it hurts. When we lose our health, we suffer. When we lose our jobs, we suffer. When we lose our relationships, we suffer, especially if it's a son or a daughter or a loved one. We know that we, we lose our loved ones. Oh, do we suffer? And I know it. I see your faces. Some of you have suffered by loss more than you ever dreamed. Some of you have experienced dark nights of the soul you never thought were possible. We have suffered, and we have suffered deeply. Suffering is loss. So how can we gain? How can it be value-added? 
only if it's connected to Christ Jesus. Suffering finds its value in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to tell you, how does it do that? We, first of all, I want to tell you a little bit about the problem of Christ's suffering, the promise of Christ's suffering, and then lastly, I want to talk about the power of Christ's suffering. The first thing is, is the problem of Christ's suffering. There's a great story in Luke chapter 24. It's, it's a road to Emmaus, and I'm not going to read it for you. But it's a great story after Jesus' death and before his resurrection, I mean, sorry, before his ascension into glory, that he, the resurrected Christ, meets these two men on the road to, to, to Emmaus. And they were distraught because they thought Jesus was the one. They had hope. They put their hope in Jesus because he's so powerful in his word. And he was so powerful in his deed that they were like, this has got to be the promised Messiah. And Jesus comes alongside and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, who, who are you? Where have you been? The whole world's a buzz. Jesus, we thought he was the one. We put our hope in him. And they said these, but we had hoped that he was Messiah. But they killed him. They nailed him to a tree. Messiahs don't die. Here's the problem. We had hoped that he would come to relieve our suffering. They were thinking that it was a suffering of the Romans. And Jesus turns to them and he says, I love this. He says, how foolish, how, how long is it going to take you to understand that the, the Messiah, the Christ, he must suffer. And then Jesus does something so beautiful. He says, let me show you the story, boys. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Moses, which means we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. We're going to go back to the very beginning. We're going to look at all of God's story. And through the Moses and through the prophets, through the poets, I'm going to prove to you that it was God's will that the Messiah must suffer. He must suffer to set us free. Man, when he spoke, their hearts were on fire. And I hope the reality that ours will be as well. So yeah, yeah, the problem with it is, how do you have a Messiah that suffers, right? But that's what God's plan was. His son was. Because why? Secondly, it's the promise of Christ's suffering. Again, in Luke 24, 26 through 27, we see the promise in Isaiah, a prophet who lived before Jesus arrived 700 years before. And Jesus would say to these men and to us, was it not necessary that the, the Christ should suffer? Wasn't this the whole point all along? Because you have sinned and rebelled against me, mankind, and you've brought all this suffering upon in the world, this curse. Death has now come. There's nothing but suffering in this world. And the only way to fix it is to send my son. The only way to fix it is for him to suffer. Was it not necessary? And then you have this beautiful passage in Isaiah 53 of a suffering servant. It was promised 700 years before Christ came that there would be a servant who would come in the name of our God and that through his wounds, we would be healed. He would be pierced for our transgressions. Can you picture a cross? He would be killed and broken because of our iniquities. And through his wounds, we will be healed. Wow. Suffering finds value in Jesus because he's the suffering servant who was suffered so that we could be healed. And then we see the power of Christ's suffering, that through his wounds, we have been made right, we are healed, we are forgiven, we are free, and through his resurrection, we have hope. I just got hit pause. Did you hear that? Through his resurrection, we have hope. Whatever darkness you're battling with, whatever, whatever darkness still comes at night, whatever emptiness is still plaguing you, we have hope in a resurrected Savior. 
Sin has been paid for. Death has been defeated. Life is hard as hell. But we have hope because we know who wins. The promise of Christ's suffering. The power of Christ's suffering. So then we see the second thing. Suffering is eclipsed by the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Greater than loss of all things is Jesus. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Let's put together a ledger sheet. Those of you who like accounting, go get help. Those of you who like that stuff, that's the only thing I got a D in. I couldn't understand it. It's, it's very easy. It's very logical. It's probably like a struggle. But, you know, you have a ledger sheet. You put assets on one side. You put liabilities on the other side. And then you figure out what your owner's equity is when you take away the liabilities from your assets. That's what you've got, right? That's basic accounting, no extra charge. So Paul is saying, let's look at the ledger sheet of life. Let's look at all the things that we value, pedigree, education, a resume that's unbelievable, religious, whatever you consider is a value added. Put those on one side of the ledger sheet and put Jesus on the other side. And here's what you're supposed to, math is supposed to add up in the gospel. This is rubbish. This is rubbish. It's dumb. I mean, this is nothing compared to the surpassing value. And Paul says, watch this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's a loaded sentence. It sounds like a religious sentence, but listen to it. Christ, meaning the anointed one. Christ Jesus. Jesus, the name above every name. The name that God would give his son. Christ Jesus, my, my, that my Lord, not just a Lord, but my Lord, the one who I bow to, the one who I call king, the one that I've surrendered my life to. If you want to tell me I gained Jesus, I'd get rid of everything else. I mean, he is that pearl of great price. He is the value that surpasses all things, greater than the loss of all things. He says, is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's of greater value than anything the world has to offer. Anything. Perfect timing. God was calling. Just want to make sure we're all awake. We are. I don't know. It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy preacher talk. I mean, come on. Which one of us believes it? I mean, who, who will say everything the world has to offer on one side and Christ on the other and I'm picking Christ? What crazy person does that? I mean, what? I mean, it's, it's got to be a person that sees Jesus face to face, right? But... It wasn't just that he picked Jesus. He would say that the other side is like, listen, it's rubbish. Because I think there might be value over there. I think I might be accepted by God over there. I think that if I'm religious enough, if I'm baptized enough, if I've been circumcised enough, I think if I'm righteous enough, I think if I obey the law enough, somehow God is going to love me and accept me. And somehow my, forget somehow my suffering will cease. And he had all those things. He said, you know what? They were just a deterrent for me. Because they kept me from seeing who Jesus really is. They kept me from seeing that the whole relationship with God, this whole gospel thing is completely upside down to what I thought. That I'm not made right by keeping God's law. I'm made right by having faith in God's son. And then amazingly, it's not my righteousness that God approves, but it's God's righteousness. And he graciously gives it to me by faith. And everything that I was pursuing was the wrong path until I got to Jesus. And I know that Jesus is Lord. And I found a righteousness from God that doesn't come from obeying. I found something that's greater. I found something that's greatest. 
It's what Jesus would say in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of God. He says it's like the pearl of great price. If you find this, go sell everything you have to get it. On the ledger sheet of life, there's Christ. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? I mean, there's Jesus and there's everything else. And he says, I'm picking that. And everything else is rubbish. Why? Because in Christ we gain. We gain something. Listen, in Christ we gain something greater than our losses. You guys have suffered great loss. But he's saying somehow there's in Christ Jesus, there is a gain that's greater than what you've suffered. Because we have resurrected hope. Because watch this. Because what we lose in Christ is found. Right? We gain forgiveness and righteousness, but we also gain hope. And how do we do it? Well, because of this reality in the gospel, this gospel tra transformation, Paul says, pedigrees, decrees, religion, useless. Give me Jesus. Because I'm going to forget what was behind. I ate lunch this week with one of my best pastor friends, David Outing. Uh, maybe you guys know him. Big. It was funny. I was, I was someplace this week. Uh, I, I, I mentioned I was having lunch. I thought maybe they knew David Outing. Is he a big, bald, black man? I'm like, that's him. Big, bald, black man. I couldn't wait to get to lunch. Say, hey, by the way, this is what you're known in the community. Big, bald, black man. <laughs> and, so, and I'm telling you, what a great man. He'll be preaching here on September 5th. You don't want to miss it. September 4th. Sorry, Doug. And uh, um, so um, come hear him. But, you know, we, we do this. Uh, we were at Grills, uh, Dockside. Anybody eat Grills? Cool kind of place. Bad food. Tastes good. Um, perfect place for me. And we do what we typically do. We sat out back, and, and, and they said, hey, your, your server will be here in a minute. And David said, hey, we're going to pray over the meal. Uh, is there anything we can pray for for you, Courtney? And uh, she goes, let me think about it. And so she disappears. The meal comes. We're hungry. We're two big guys. And so we just pray and eat. But we prayed for her. And eventually she made her way back to the table. And she, we're like, hey, Courtney, we, uh, we, we prayed for you. You're a little slow on the ask. So uh, we just prayed a general prayer. But is there anything we can pray for you? She said, you know what? I'm a single mom. And my two kids started school today. Would you pray for them? Like, absolutely. And she says, I'm two years out of, out of I'm sober two years. And I, I've been addicted. And, you know, I'm a single mom because the, the, the dad's still in addiction. Would you pray for me? Oh, man, you know I'll pray for you. And David did what David could do. He says, you know, you know when you drive your car, Courtney? I'm like, oh, gosh, where are we going with this? And he says, you know, there's that little thing that you look back. You know what's that called? The rearview mirror. He goes, you know that big thing in front, what that's called? It's called the windshield. Look through the windshield. That rearview mirror, you're going to get in accidents if you spend your time all looking through there. As Christians, we can't stare in the rearview mirror. It's going to kill us. As Christians, we got to look forward. We look forward to what's coming. Paul is unpacking this now and not yet. We have been forgiven. We have been given God's righteousness. We have such great relationship with him, but it's not all yet here. I haven't obtained all this. It's not, it's not here. I, I've not even been perfected. There's more to come. Olstein's wrong. The best life is not now. It's to come. Right? So we live in the agony of the now and not yet. We live in the suffering of now we're forgiven and free and loved and his, but we're not yet home. And it really hurts getting there sometimes. But look through the front window. Because there's hope. And there's what's coming. And it's going to end marvelously well for you and me if we're his. It's going to end marvelously well. It might be really difficult getting there. But forget what is behind. Focus on what is ahead. There is a prize. Press on for the prize that is ahead. And the prize is Christ Jesus. And that's a prize enough. But it's glory. Look upward. 
there's a prize in front of us, right? I mean, I mean, the world wants you to look at your circumstances and it wants you to see all that's broken around you and then use all that brokenness and all that bitterness and all that angst and then try to shape who God is. It's not going to work. And try to shape hope. It's not going to work. But here we have in Christ Jesus, one who suffered for us. Look to the cross and what he's done for us. And look to what he's opened up in glory ahead of us. And look through the front window. Look upward. We live in this now and not yet journey of Christianity. We do have God's righteousness in Christ Jesus as a gift now. We do have forgiveness now. We do have eternal life now. We do have adoption now. But there is more to come. Then lastly, suffering brings us into fellowship with Christ our Lord. You know what? we got to say, first of all, we're going to have fellowship with Christ, his suffering. But we, do we not, we suffer because we live in a broken world. <laughs> Is it not every day? We suffer because we live in a broken world. Drunk drivers take away our loved ones. And it's a broken world. I mean, how unfair. How unfair because the world is broken. For somebody else's dumb decisions are affecting you and me. And we suffer because of other dumb decisions every day. We suffer because of the broken world around us. But before we just let them have it, we're suffering because of the broken world within us. We suffer because our sins, our, our, our moronic behavior for wandering away, for choosing things we, we shouldn't. First Peter 2.20, we suffer because of sin. Sin has consequences. Man, I relate. Um, there is a cause and effect. Yes, we're forgiven and free, but we can't live like knuckleheads and not think that we're going to suffer. We will. But there's something unique that Paul is talking about. Not just suffering in a broken world, not just suffering because you're a broken sinner, but we are to suffer because Jesus is our Lord. And church, this is the time. Because if you draw the line that say, Jesus is my Lord, and his word is my guide, and his spirit is authority in my life, that I've given authority to my Savior, that he is my Lord, we will suffer for knowing and loving Jesus. And if there's no suffering in your life for knowing and loving Jesus, I would maybe start asking the question, why are there no, no signs of that fruit in your life? But we suffer knowing and loving him, but we, here's the reality. Our suffering will lead us to glory. God only had one son who didn't sin. His name was Jesus. And he suffered. They nailed him to a tree. But God didn't have any sons and daughters who don't suffer. And Scripture will tell us the way home is suffering. Don't, don't consider it something weird that you're in a fiery trial. Don't think it's something like, like, oh my goodness, what happened? We live in a broken world. And he told us, tough stuff is heading your way. Brokenness is always around the corner. You're going to stumble over it all the time, but have hope. I've overcome the world. Have hope. I'm with you, and I love you, and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Have hope, because suffering leads to glory. And oh, the glory of seeing Jesus face to face. And oh, knowing that no long, not, not only are my sins paid for, but my sins will no longer be present. And they'll have no ability to do anything other than follow my Savior. Oh, I long for the day. The day of glory. The day of seeing him. The day of no more suffering. And I know you, you're longing for it too. The day that we're re reunited with those that we've lost that we're reunited, when, when God has finally, completely made all things right, when everything that was wrong and untrue is undone, and we're in glory. We're going home. 
but it's going to suffer a bit on the way. It's, it was necessary for Christ to suffer before entering glory. It's going to be necessary for us too. I don't know why. Suffering will cause you to do one or two things. Suffering will cause you to be a God slayer, or suffering will cause you to be a God worshiper. And in Christ Jesus, the suffering servant, we can become God worshipers. We value suffering because we value Jesus. We value suffering because it produces something in us that maybe only he can see that nothing else but suffering can produce. We value suffering because it's the path to glory. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father God, only you, only you can bring hope to our suffering. Only you can resurrect that which has been killed in us because of suffering. Only you. And God, only you have seen the depths of our suffering. Only you have seen our tears that no one else has seen. Only you have experienced the brokenness that we have because you, Jesus, were broken even more. Oh, our God, we suffer because of our sin, but Jesus was like us in every way, but he knew no sin. Yet he chose suffering so that through his wounds we could be healed. We thank you that your word tells us that it doesn't end with suffering, that it ends with glory. And I thank you that it's not just hang on until the end because one day it's getting better, but that you are working in us and you do love us. And we experience beauty even in the midst of the pain. Oh, God, be with us. May this church and may the church of Jesus Christ be a place where we join in the fellowship of suffering for Christ Jesus. So we say, bring it on. Because we found a pearl of great price. You can have the whole world and everything it offers. But for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amen.